I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You are listening to More Than a Song, episode 458. Hello, and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. When something seems too good to be true, you'll often say, no, really. That's what I think of when I listen to Crowder's song, God Really Loves Us. It may seem too good to be true, but he really does. Let's explore the love of God in Scripture this week. But before we get to that, let's listen. Hallelujah, we are not. in 1 John quite a bit lately, so it shouldn't surprise you that when thinking about the love of God that I thought of last week's feature verse, 1 John 3, 1. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. So last week we talked about what it was to be a child of God, and this week we're going to explore the kind of love the Father has given to us, because not only does God really love us, as our song declares, but he has given us his love. Not just any love, but a particular kind of love. God's love is distinct from human love because it is distinct from humans. God's love is a reflection of his character. Um, Scripture says God is love. You know, one version of 1 John 3, 1 puts it this way, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold, indeed, God's love is profound, and it is profound that he has given us his love. So if you missed last week's episode, I encourage you to listen to it after you listen to this one. It's a perfect partner. But I'm going to take the bite of repetition and reread 1 John again this week. Now, if you didn't follow along last week, maybe this will be the first time for you. And so I encourage you to take the bite of reading in context, whether it's your first time or your 10th time. But BITE, by the way, stands for Bible Interaction Tool Exercises, and repetition and reading in context are simple and powerful bites. So when you read and reread the text, especially the way that we're going to do it this week, you will begin to gain a familiarity that leads to deeper understanding. So to read a letter in context is to basically read the entire letter. So 1 John is five chapters. 
reading the entire letter in one sitting should not be a Herculean task. And this week, I took the bite of considering the historical context. And this letter is included in God's holy word. It's for us, but it was originally written to real people living in a real historical context that may shed light on the text as we study it. So if you have a study Bible, pull it out and read the introduction. The The first few times you do this, it's, it's going to seem a little clunky because you're used to reading God's word and not used to reading um, all of that historical background. But the more often you take this bite, the more helpful it becomes. And if you don't have a study Bible, there are introductions available online for free through sites like blueletterbible.org. So, but I used utilized a commentary in my Logos Bible software this week. Um, it was by David Jackman. And I wanted to use it to get a better grasp on that historical setting. Um, it, it discussed that and the moral climate and theological issues that were raised in First John. And then, of course, the literary structure of First John. So in summary, I learned that at the time of the writing of this letter, that John probably lived in Ephesus. And the moral climate of that region put great pressure on the church. And this comes from that commentary. He says, it's not surprising when we consider this background that John's letters insist on right moral behavior as the touchstone of a true Christian faith. Christians cannot continue to live in darkness, to love the world, to believe every spirit, or to have anything to do with idols. Love for the God who is light means a radical break with every kind of evil. So you could actually deduce some of the theological issues of the day just by looking at what teachings John emphasizes in his letter. You know, um, there was some Gnostic teaching worming its way into the church. There was an emphasis on higher revelation through a special anointing. Um, they actually, there was a denial of the incarnation of Christ and there, and more. So I really, I like how Jackman puts it when he says, John does not attempt a detailed analysis or critique of error. He has no need to do so. He proclaims the truth in the characteristic apostolic confidence that where the truth is declared and believed, error will be undermined and will ultimately collapse. I love that. So we don't need to, to break apart or, you know, John didn't need to critique the errors. He just needed to declare the truth and the truth would overcome that error. So as to literary structure, Jackman points out the fact that John's letters don't follow the same structure as Paul's letters. And so you're going to see that as you read it. So rather than a linear progression, John kind of circles thoughts. And Jackman says it's kind of like a spiral staircase, seeing objects from a different angle as you climb higher in understanding. Um, you know, you can kind of picture that going up a, st a spiral staircase and maybe looking at something from a variety of ang angles and looking at it again and again as you spiral up. Uh, it's just another great reason to read the entire letter at once, recognizing that it's not going to follow this linear progression but rather more of that spiral view. So while this historical background sheds light on the letter as written to the first audience, what can we learn from it? Well, um, we too are in danger of reflecting rather than challenging the philosophy of our culture around us. You know, we often base our judgment and our conduct on our personal feelings and experiences rather than God's revealed truth. And today, I don't want to do that. I want to lead us toward what the Bible really says about God's love 
and not our own interpretation of what we think it should say. And I have a handful of things that bubbled to the surface as I read and interacted with First John again this week. But before we get to that, I want to share some thoughts from another book that I consulted this week. The book is titled God's Love, How the Infinite God Cares for His Children, and it's by R.C. Sproul. And in it, he says, however accurately we may speak about the love of God, our speech is limited by our human perspective. Whatever God's love is, it is not exhausted by our concept of it. It transcends our best efforts to describe it. It is higher than our loftiest notions of it. You know, so basically I'm on a fool's errand to try to define God's love. Uh, no matter how much progress we make today, there will be more to uncover. You know, an idea like this can either depress you or energize you. I, ho- I hope it does the latter. I hope you stay curious as you spend a lifetime interacting with God's word. So we go to the Bible as our primary source to understand God's love, not our own understanding or our experiences, but the Bible. And our theme verse this week is 1 John 4, uh, it's actually two verses, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, when scripture says that God is love, it is saying that love is one of God's attributes. It's it's not an equation. So it's not God equals love. So think think about what an equation is. Um, both sides of an equation are equal. So if you have two, two plus three equals five, and then five equals two plus three. So it's not God equals love, because then that would have to mean love equals God. And that's a dangerous entrance into exalting human love to a divine place. As I mentioned earlier, we're talking about God's love as distinct from anything else defined as love or any other um, element of love that we um, understand as humans. So John is using a literary device to say that all genuine love proceeds from God and is rooted in him. It says love is of God. He's the source. He's the norm and he is the fountainhead of love. Now, another interesting thing I learned from R.C. Sproul in this book is that God is not a composite of his attributes. In other words, he is not part holy, part all-powerful, part faithful, part just, part love, and and so on. He is all of these things at all times. R.C. Sproul goes on to say, if the Bible is our primary source for God's revelation of his nature and character, and it declares that God is holy, sovereign, just, and wrathful, as well as loving, we need to understand the love of God in such a way that it does not negate or swallow up these other attributes. What this means is that we cannot pick and choose God's attributes. They are 100% all the time and 100% consistent with each other. So God is love. God is holy. Therefore, God's love is holy. And uh, God and God's holiness is loving. Uh, God is just. Therefore, God's love is just and God's justice is loving. So all of his characteristics are true of him at all times and therefore all true of each other at all times. This is the manner of love God gives to us. So as you start with God uh, in your other times of study, 
any characteristic, any attribute that you um, uncover or that scripture reveals to you is 100% true of God all the time and is true of the other characteristics. So God's love, God is eternal. God's love is eternal. Uh, But we are not eternal, are we? So humanity had a beginning. So for God's love to be eternal, some, someone eternal had to be the object of his love, and that is his son. And so the love that God loves us with is the love he has for his son, uh, which is an eternal love. So R.C. Sproul says, God does not love us because we are lovely. He loves us because Christ is lovely, and he loves us in Christ. And uh, it goes on to say, we are the children of God only by adoption. Our sonship does not confer deity on us. Meaning when we become the children of God, we do not like Christ. We aren't, you know, the son of God is God. We are not that kind of son. Uh, He says our adoption, in our adoption, we share in the eternal love of God. We experience the eternal love of God because we are adopted in Christ, the natural son, and we are loved in him as well. So I hope this doesn't confuse you, but it's um, it's a beautiful thing to think about. God really does love us. But then the next question that I want to ask is, what is God's love really like? So once again this week, I didn't seek out the whole of scripture to explore this idea, but rather just stayed in 1 John. And once again, I took the bite of marking up the text and I underlined every mention of God's love in this letter. And and here's a bit of, of what I learned. I hope you'll follow the same pattern and then take the bite of meditating on what you've learned. Um, I'm going to share just a few things that popped up. There are other areas that you can uncover as you study for yourself. Um, We've already talked about one aspect of God's love. God's love is given. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Uh, And it says the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So God's love is given. God has given his children his love. Uh, but because we're human and he's not, this uh, love needs to be perfected. Of course, his love is perfect in him, but it needs to be perfected in us. So we learn that God's love can be perfected in us. First John 2, 5, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Um, there are other verses in this letter where, where John talks about this love being perfected. You, you remember that spiral staircase? Let's let's climb up a little bit. First John 4.12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So first we're to keep his word. His love is perfected in us when we keep his word, scripture says. And then part of keeping his word is to love one another. So his love is perfected in us as we love one another, as we keep his word, uh, specifically as we love other believers. And then 1 John 4, 16 and 17 says, So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. Uh, up, up the spiral staircase we go, abiding, obeying, loving, abiding, looking at it from different angles and different heights, all leading to God's love being perfected in us, knowing, believing, abiding, obeying, loving. You know, uh, thus far, 
we've seen love given and love perfected. But remember, God's love is distinct from anything that we've ever thought of as love before. And his love saturates. First uh, John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So God's love doesn't share space with the love of the world. Uh, God's love takes priority and it saturates the place. It fills us. And uh, so that's just such an interesting aspect of God's love. It's also very challenging, isn't it not, to think that um, if, if that there's no room for loving the world uh, when we are filled with the love of the Father. All right, so God's love is also a self-sacrificing love. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So we know God's love because of Christ's sacrifice of himself. And this saturating love uh, should look the same as we live it out. Um, This isn't lip service love. God's love acts. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. All right, so we've seen God's love given, uh, love perfected, love saturates, love sacrifices self, and love acts. And we see love manifested in 1 John 4.9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. If love was something that was hidden or hard to define, God made it clear by sending his son to die that we might live through him. And I've said it before, but God's love is made available to us in Christ. God's love originated with him, is initiated by him, and sustained in him. Uh, But love, God's love, also requires. 1 John 4.21 says, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So as a people of God, we are blessed to be a blessing. And as children of God, we are given love to give to others. God's love is a shared love. 1 John 3.10, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, so far we've seen love given, love perfected, love saturates, love sacrifices self, love acts, love manifested, love requires, love shared. And now we see that God's love produces results. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And as we continue to climb the spiral staircase, we read, uh, we reach the top landing in 1 John 5, 1 through 3, where we read, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. But if we keep reading, we are reminded of God's attribute of victorious, and we've discussed it. If God is victorious, then his love is victorious. 1 John 5, 4 through 5, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So John wants to inspire confidence in 
believers. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. He wants us to know God and his love. He wants us to know that Jesus is victorious. He wants us to know that we are from God and then act like it. God really loves us. And now when you sing this song, you can remember the kind of love God's love really is. So what's next? Well, read First John again this week. This time, read it to discover what you can about God's love that he loves us with, that he gives to us and expects us to share with others. And before I wrap up this week, I want to make a special announcement. More Than a Song is moving to a bi-weekly format. Now, I've hosted a weekly show for over eight years now, so even on the off weeks, there will be plenty for you to explore. But I'm doubling down on my efforts to get my book written and published while increasing my support of my husband's business endeavors. Now, I am going to be adding something special to my future episodes, however, an interaction guide for every episode. So be sure to subscribe to my email list for biweekly emails from me announcing new episodes and dropping that resource into your inbox. With that in mind, I want to thank my newest subscribers who've subscribed lately, like Stephanie from Georgia, Jessica from Florida, Kathy from Ohio, Free Church from Minnesota, and Judy from Delaware. Welcome. And then while you're in God's Word this week, could you let me know how you're doing, email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. You can hop on Twitter or Instagram at michellekneezat. My Facebook page, my public page is Michelle L. Nizat, and we can talk about what you're learning. And More Than a Song is a proud member of the NRT Podcast Network. Check out other podcasts in the network and Christian music resources at newreleasetoday.com. And don't forget, you can listen to the podcast directly on my website at michellekneezat.com through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. And while you're listening, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to review the podcast. This includes increases visibility to new listeners, and it just helps me see what parts you like most. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next time, I will be featuring Don't Lose Heart by Stephen Curtis Chapman to dive into scripture. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneezat.com forward slash 458. And while you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.